0: Thank you for joining us this morning and let's have the kids be dismissed to their time of worship upstairs and so that's uh, up through the fifth grade. You guys can make your way upstairs. Um, Some of the younger kids in this building, older kids upstairs in the back building. Thanks AJ. And thank you for joining us. I hope as you walked in there's a couple things that I want you to to be aware of. Um, This little bulletin sheet uh, should have been given to you at the front table. Um, These are always helpful and important because they have a few things going on in the life of the church that we need to know about. I also had another sheet available. I did this last week and people responded well to it. Um, And so you should somewhere on one of the back tables or maybe as you walked in, you got it. Uh, Last week we did, um, I had a sheet on Proverbs and friendship. And this week it's on restoring relationships, which is kind of part two of the same message so if you don't have one of those, go ahead and, and you can find them out in the lobby um, on the back table. Um, the little half sheet has a couple of youth events coming up, and so please just be aware of those things going on in the life of the church. I'm going to ask now Carol McFarland to join me, and Carol is going to tell us a little bit about actually two um, different events that are coming up. Good morning. Uh, Good morning.
1: I shared this with the ladies at the ice cream social on Tuesday night, but a couple months ago I met with a friend who goes to Christ Church, and they have a a ministry where they have groups of women, four women, that meet once a month for four months. So it's not a huge commitment, one night a month, Um, and they're multi-generational, and she's an introvert and really didn't want to go, but they asked her if she would help be an initiator, which means that all she does is text everybody to get everyone together, And she went and she was really blessed because she found that even though some of them are half her age, she really connected with them. And she was fairly new to the church and it gave her inroads to when she comes to church, she has more people to say hello to. She feels more comfortable at group events. And I know I've been gone from fellowship about eight years as I'm coming back at the Ice Cream Social. If I hadn't had to make an announcement, I, I probably wouldn't have gone Because I tend to just talk to the people I used to know and don't know all these new people. And the more people get involved in a small group and get to know one another, the more they'll get involved in the bigger groups. And so it helps the health of the church and the church continues to grow. And as uh, Tim mentioned last week, we tend to, women like to talk face-to-face and men talk shoulder-to-shoulder. And um, so we're starting something called the Women's Quads. We're going to have the sign-ups through July and August. And then starting September, your group of four women, multi-generational, will get together once a month for four months. We go September to December. January's we'll have sign-ups again, and we'll have new groups. We want to sign them. We have a great computer program that can take the different age groups that will do it, so you don't know who you'll get with. But I just would encourage you, if you feel disconnected, or even just an example, I got together with some women for dinner a couple weeks ago. And then afterwards, one of them was struggling with something, and she sent out and said, hey, will you guys pray for me? I'm really going through a tough time. She would never have done that. She's an introvert. She's quiet. Um, She probably never would have done that if if we hadn't gone together for dinner that one night. And so we need each other. Even if you don't feel like you need somebody, they might need you, and you don't even know that. So there's a sign-up sheet in the back on the back table. If you go to the church app, there's a sign-up there as well. Sign up and be a part. Of it. Just try it once. Four nights is all we're asking for. Try it once. And if you don't like it, you're done at the end of the year. But I would just encourage you to be a part of what's going on with the women's ministry. And then the second announcement. We have a pickleball group that's going to get together. If you have never known or know what pickleball is, this is the paddle. And you have a wiffle ball. You can't get hurt with a wiffle ball. We're going to get together on July 30th over at Lakeshore Park from 7 to 9 for two hours. If you have care group that night, bring your care group. Some of you can learn how to play. Some of you can cheer the rest of us on. Be a part of the church family. This is the fastest growing sport in the United States. Ahead of golf, ahead of tennis, ahead of everything. You play it once and you want to play it again. Is that fun. It's easy to learn. Hard to score. Easy to learn. And so we want you to come out and be a part of what's going on. We can use this just to reach others by bringing them in. So July 30th, come out to Lakeshore Park. Again, if you're care groups meeting, bring them. If not, just bring your whole family. We'll have some snacks, water, things to drink, and we can have a good time. So this is what pickleball is for those who don't know, and, and it's a fun, fun, fun sport. So please come and join us, and women, please sign up. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Carol. Um, other things going on in the life of the church, just a couple reminders. If you uh, scan this uh, QR code on here, you can get signed up to our emails, um, get on to our weekly newsletter that comes out on Fridays, and you can just be more connected, more informed of different things um, going on in the life of the church week to week. I'll ask you now to turn into the book of Proverbs, and um, if you have that sheet about restoring relationships, you'll see that, again, the reason I provided the sheet last week and this week is there's just a lot of scriptures that have to deal with these couple of issues that we're dealing with these weeks, and in order to sort of help us go through all of the material, all of those scriptures, I wanted to just give it to you. All those verses will be on the screen, those points will be on the screen, but it's a little bit easier to connect with if you're not flipping back and forth in ten different sections Of of the book of Proverbs. Last week we saw that relationships were important. If any of you have ever been in any sort of relationship, be it a a friendship, a family relationship, you know that if we're going to talk about friendships, or if we're going to talk about family, we're going to talk about relationships of any kind, we have to also address conflict and restoration in relationships. Because if you've been in relationship with literally anybody, you fought with that person. And in fact, the closer the relationship is, probably the more intense the fight. One of the things that we we talk about with marriage is that one of the reasons we need to learn how to resolve conflict in marriage is that the people you care about the most hurt you the most. Same thing with Parenting. Nobody is going to hurt you the way your parents will or your kids will. Your immediate family wounds are some of the deepest and the most painful. And so if we talk about relationships, we cannot talk about relationships of any kind without talking about what happens when they inevitably go wrong. And so this week, two basic points, and we'll go through each with some subpoints. but basically kind of the way we did last week. Last week we said... We ask the question of why friendships matter and how we build friendships. Well, this week we're simply going into why relationships need to be restored and how we do it. Maybe you don't need an answer to the first question, but it's helpful. Why do relationships break down? Three points that I'll give you. Number one, we just destroy things. Proverbs 27, 5, and 6 says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, we looked at this verse last week. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. It is one of the most important verses in any sort of relationship building to look at in the book of Proverbs. Again, Proverbs, they're not necessarily promises, but they are principles, and they are lists of probabilities. So if you look at Proverbs, you'll see that he's trying to communicate to us something in the book of Proverbs about the way life works. So Proverbs 27, 5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. What's that trying to communicate? You're going to mess something up. You're going to break something. You're going to harm somebody and you will need to be rebuked and I will need to be rebuked. And so that's our starting point. We, we talked about this last week. But again, I start with this verse for the essential reason of saying relationships break down because of you and because of me and because of just being human. And I think that's probably like abundantly clear to all of us. We've all been in relationships that have broken down somewhere. But it's important to recognize that relationships break down because of me, because of us. Because I'm broken. If I was perfect, my relationships might stand a chance of being perfect. But you throw an imperfect person into a relationship with another imperfect person, and we will break things down. And so, any relationship needs to be based on the assumption that both parties are gonna get it wrong at some point. And repeatedly, often, both parties are gonna fall short. It's true of your marriage. It's true of your parenting. It's true of your adult children who let you down sometimes. It's true if you are an adult and struggling in your relationship with your parents. Don't expect that your parents should have gotten it right all throughout your whole life and should be getting it right every day now. Your parents are going to mess up. And so it's that principle of knowing that we all fail We all need our failures addressed. We all need to grow in response to failure. That's the first reason relationships break down. We destroy them. We destroy ourselves. We destroy our connection to God. We destroy our connections to each other. That's what human beings who are sinners do. But secondly, why do relationships break down? Because of sometimes just the things that we say. We destroy relationships with our mouths. Proverbs 10:18 says, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. And, wh- and whoever utters slander is a fool. Okay, so, so two ends of the same coin here. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. That's the picture of somebody who actually hates another person, but is faking it. And is being really kind and polite on the outside but is, is, is trying to deceive the person and actively even deceiving themselves because you disdain the other person. You dislike the other person. That's a problem. Part two of that is the person that utters slander is a fool. I want to talk about those two words. Those two important principles in this verse are hatred and slander. And both of those, we need a little bit more time to unpack what those words mean so we don't make assumptions. In the Old Testament, the word hatred, it kind of comes up a lot, um, where it talks about um, even God hating sin or hating parties. It talks about how, um, how we are to not hate others, but how we are to serve others. The Old Testament word that gets translated as hatred there may be a little bit weaker than what we conceive of as hatred. Maybe disdain is a better word. Maybe dislike is a better word actually, if you, are, if you want to understand what the Bible's concept of hatred is, you look at Jesus, who interprets the Old Testament concept of hatred, and says that he looks at, at, at actually murder and compares murder to hatred, and compares hatred and murder to saying an angry word about someone. And so you see, all of these things are roots of, are, come from the same root of the same sin. It doesn't mean that everyone in this room has murdered somebody. And maybe you say, well, I haven't murdered. I also, I just don't hate people. There's some people I don't like. There's some people that make me really angry, that make me really frustrated. But you look at the line of Jesus. To be angry with someone and to speak an angry word about someone is hatred, is murder in your heart. Those three sins that we see is so radically different are all the same in Jesus's mind. And so the question is, are you harboring disdain, bitterness, anger for another person in your life right now? Maybe that's where this this message, these passages get really, really practical. Who's that person? Who's the person you're harboring bitterness for? Who's that person that has hurt you that you're angry with? And and you're still, still circling in your mind that anger. We need to we need to then apply what the scriptures say about relationships into that situation. The person that makes you angriest, that's who we need to apply this um, this conversation to. With our mouths, we we conceal hatred or ill will. Maybe is a better translation. We want somebody else to suffer. That is biblical hatred. We slander. Now, I said we need to understand hatred from an Old Testament concept. What about slander from an Old Testament concept? What is the definition of slander in the English language? It means to make a false public statement about somebody else. And there's a very key word in that. Slander is a false statement within our legal system, within the English language and our understanding of that term. That is not true in Hebrew. In Hebrew, in this passage, And in multiple passages, we have multiple passages today that use this Hebrew word that gets translated as slander. And it's kind of a difficult translation for us to understand because in every single one of these passages, all slander means is a bad report or an evil report. And in all of these verses, that evil report may be true. And so slander in Proverbs is not saying something public, bad, and false about someone. It's just something public and bad that could actually be true. Okay, so so we need to stop for a second here and say, okay. okay, okay. Now, if this passage is telling us that if we say something public and bad about somebody, we are a fool, do we really want to apply that? Is there ever a place to be public and negative? I think that's a good question for us. Because I'll just just go ahead here and and we'll go a little bit farther. Uh, Proverbs 11, 12 through 13. I'm going to skip over to the next verse, come back to it. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So again, we have slandering seen as a negative thing here. If you slander, you are a fool. If you slander, you reveal secrets and you are not trustworthy. So are we allowed then, based on Proverbs, to say public negative things about somebody when it's true and they deserve it? Here's what I want us to understand here. What this passage is getting at in both 1018 and 1113 is the reason for slander. The reason for those public comments matters a great deal. We destroy relationships with our mouths when we conceal hatred. We destroy relationships when we slander by giving an evil report. The Hebrew word there is whispering. It's like gossiping. And so the question that you ask yourself, if you have something negative in your head to say about another person and you want to say it publicly, here's the question to ask yourself. Why? Why does that information need to be known? Is that information in my head, am I bringing it out of my head and through my mouth because it needs to be public for somebody else's protection or for my own relationship protection? see, here's here's the harm, okay? Let's say you know something about someone that is harmful, that is dangerous, that could hurt another person. Should you be public about that? Should you warn someone? Should you allow somebody else to be challenged or confronted in their sin by saying something public about their sin and about their failure? Yes, because the first... Verse that we opened today, Proverbs 27.5, is that open rebuke is necessary. It is good. And so we cannot protect other people's sins to the point that we do not allow them to be addressed. But where it is slander, according to uh, 10.18 and 11.13, is when there is something that is not harmful to another person, that we want to reveal about a third person to make ourselves look better, to make them look worse, to make the third party choose our side over that side. Let's say we have a dispute with a friend. A friend hurts us and you have this person over here who has deeply wronged you, deeply hurt you. It doesn't affect this person over here. They're the innocent third party. They're trying to maintain relationships with both parties. How do you talk to that person? That matters, according to Proverbs. Because if you say everything negative you can imagine to this third party that was not involved in this but remains friends and remains in relationship with both, what you are doing is biblical slander. It's giving an evil report to change that person's mind about that person and make yourself look better. Because you're worried how your relationship Or, how your um, reputation is going to be affected by this negative thing that has happened relationally. So, you want to defend yourself in public by saying, I'm not the bad person. He's the bad person. She's the bad person. Can you believe what they did? That's what this is talking about here. We destroy relationships with our own slander, our own evil reports, our own negative comments. And here's the other question to ask you. Number one, is it slander? Is it something that you are saying out loud to protect another person or to protect your own reputation? It's a big question. And number two, do you derive pleasure from speaking ill about the person that wronged you? Does it make you feel a little bit better? Does it kind of ease the wound a little bit? Does it feel like there's this itch that you're scratching to say this, this negative thing about this person that hurt you, if that is the reason, because you want to derive pleasure from somebody else thinking ill of the person that wronged you, that is what Proverbs is calling foolishness. When you speak ill of somebody for the sake of your own reputation or for the sake of your own pleasure, that is destroying a relationship with your mouth. Look at Proverbs 17:9 and what it adds to this conversation. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So that's that image I was just talking about, where this person over here wrongs me, and I have got to convince our mutual friend that he is wrong and I am right so that I maintain this mutual friendship. But by repeating the matter over and over, By slandering, by giving an evil report of somebody else, what I am doing is I'm I'm expanding the relational conflict. I'm expanding the relational destruction so that more people are affected by this relational destruction. You repeat a matter in 17.9 because you want other people on your side. And sometimes repeating a matter doesn't have to happen out loud. Let me give you a principle of wisdom that we can take from Proverbs 17, 9. One of the worst things that we can do in regard to our relationships, particularly relationships that have been broken, people that have hurt us, is continuing to repeat the matter to ourselves. Think about it. Ever been hurt by somebody? And your urge isn't to go and gossip about them and speak bad about them. You're thinking, I don't have a problem with that. But I live in my own head a lot. I got lots of things I want to say up here. I'm not going to say them out loud. I'm not going to say them to that third person. But there's lots of matters that I'm repeating to myself in my own head. That too is foolish. Because that leads nowhere but to bitterness, to anger, and to further brokenness. So that person has wronged you. The more you repeat that matter, the more their wrong dominates your life. That's the scary part. They wronged you. They've moved on. And you're the one that's continuing to dwell, continuing to suffer, continuing to battle with bitterness, and continuing to repeat the matter over and over to friends that trust you, but also, and sometimes even more dangerously, within your own head, dwelling on it, rehearsing the conversation that you want to have, but you know you'll never get to have. That's what destroys our minds, destroys our connection to people, makes us distrust other people and makes and disconnects us from the loving God of forgiveness. And, it, tre- and it, it moves us into this isolated foolishness where we can't build healthy relationships with anyone anymore because we're living in our own head about a brokenness that happened long ago and bitterness that hasn't been healed. When we repeat a matter in our head or out front to other people, what we are trying to do is exact punishment on someone with their, with our words. But, but, let me... So I've heard this before, okay? I've heard that you are never supposed to give a bad report about somebody. And I feel like in everything we're saying about this passage of Proverbs, this kind of theme in Proverbs, we have to be balanced and understand that we can go off the rails in multiple different directions, repeating the matter over and over to convince everyone around you and convince yourself that the other person is bad and you're righteous and innocent. That's a problem. That's a path towards foolishness. The the opposite path towards foolishness is to never say anything about a real wrong that has happened and to never allow that person to be confronted in their sin and confronted in their failure. And so again, the question matters. The answer to the question of what is your purpose in sharing this matter out loud? What is your purpose in going to another person? Because we know that Matthew 18, Jesus tells us sin needs to be addressed. And sometimes sin needs to be addressed in the community. Sometimes sin can't just be simply addressed one person to another. The offense is too great, the wound is too deep. And so when a brother sins against you, you go and you confront them, that doesn't work. What do you do? You take somebody else. That's not slander. Not in the the category of Matthew 18. Because you go to somebody else, not for the purpose of making that person look bad, but for the purpose of relational restoration. You go to that other person because you want help in going to the person that wronged you and say, I need help. I've been hurt. I've been sinned against. And this person, they're not hearing it from me. Maybe they'll hear it from you. There's a difference there, right? There's a difference in what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to hurt the person with my words and my comments. I'm trying to restore my broken relationship with that person. Number three okay, we destroy relationships just generally, we destroy self. We're sinners. Number 2, we destroy relationships with our mouths. Number 3, we destroy with our egos. Look at Proverbs 24:17 and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. I'm going out of order here, so I'm going to I'm going to go back and it's going to mess up Josh on the screen too. But Proverbs 11:12 through 13, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So those four verses, those two sections, Proverbs 11, 12, and 13, Proverbs 24, 17, and 18. A couple of key concepts from there. 11, 12, belittles his neighbor. And 24, 17, rejoicing when your enemy fails. We destroy relationships with our egos because what we do as humans, this is just what we do, we compare. We, we do it constantly. And as a parent, you've been annoyed with your kids about it because your kids want to compare things all the time. They want to compare what they get to what their sibling gets to what their friend gets. Well, uh, Johnny's dad got him this for his birthday. What, you got me this. Johnny's mom lets, lets her have, lets him have a phone already. Johnny's mom did this, blah, 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 blah. You know how annoying comparison can be when you're a parent, right? But, but we do it to ourselves, too. Because we're we're just like our kids. We're just broken. Maybe we've matured out of a little bit of it, but we're constantly comparing ourselves, too, aren't we? And we're constantly comparing ourselves to the people that wrong us. What this concept of belittling is doing in Proverbs 11, 12 is saying that what belittling a person means in that passage is this person has hurt me, this person has wronged me, so in my mind, I'm going to tell myself less about them. I'm going to present a caricature in my mind of who that person is. When I think about that person, or when I talk about that person, I'm going to emphasize all of the negatives so that I, in comparison, look better than that person. Or, the other way that our ego comes out is when we rejoice. We compare, we belittle, and then we rejoice. We rejoice because we see the pain that another person is experiencing. Let's let's be honest, you don't have to say it out loud, but but admit it to yourself right now. Have you ever taken pleasure when somebody that wronged you failed? Somebody hurts you, Somebody did something that that really caused you pain. And then later they did something that just completely blew up in your face. It felt good, didn't it? It's okay to admit it because again, we already admitted that we're all sinners. But but when I say we admit it, it doesn't mean it's a good motivation. It doesn't mean it's a good impulse to experience pleasure at another person's pain. But, But we've done it before. We've We've experienced that ourselves where somebody has wronged you. And then, in response to that, you're watching them. You're watching them on Facebook. You're watching them on Instagram. You're not in relationship with that person anymore, but you're still kind of following them from afar, kind of seeing what, what's going on in their life. And then something happens, and you're like, ha ha, serves you right. I knew you were a terrible person. I knew you were irresponsible. I knew you were a jerk because you hurt me. And now I see the effect that that's having in your other relationships. Do we derive pleasure from other people's pain? That's a good way to destroy relationships. It's easy to apply all these to broken relationships. But when we follow this path of our open disregard for, for people negative comments with our mouths out in public around other people, negative thoughts in our minds, belittling, comparing, taking pleasure at somebody else's defeat, all of those things, what they do, they don't just harm bad relationships. They harm good relationships. The more you dwell on the people that have hurt you, the friendships that have blown up on your fa- in your face and the things that have gone wrong in your life, the harder it is to be your friend in general the harder it is for me to then connect with somebody else. Because I don't trust anybody. I'm bitter. I'm still dwelling on what that person did to hurt me. I'm still angry about it. And then how how do I create a new friendship again? How do I work for restoration? So that's why relationships get broken, because we're sinners, because we destroy relationships with our words, and we destroy relationships with our egos and our pride. So then what do we do to restore? Well, simply, we can go back through the verses we've already looked at. We can start there and say, well, we stop slandering, we stop belittling, we stop rejoicing. Those things are all helpful. But there's a few more things to look at. Proverbs uh, 24, 28 through 29 under the category of how do we restore or repair relationships that are broken. Three things I'll give you. We resist payback, we wait for the Lord, and we overcome evil with good. Resist payback, wait for the Lord, and overcome evil with good. Proverbs 24, 28, and 29. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Or similarly, Proverbs 20:22. 20, Do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. There's so much in all of these passages. I want to talk about a concept that we went through quickly, Proverbs 17:9. I'm sorry I keep going back and forth, but Proverbs 17:9 gives us something that is essential for this application point. What does it mean to cover over an offense? Because we read this passage last week, I was asked about this passage last week. Are we supposed to cover offenses? Are we supposed to cover for other people's sins? What does that mean? Whoever covers over an offense seeks love. He who repeats a matter separates close friends. Some translations, maybe you're sitting there with your Bible And you're saying, hey, my my Bible says something different. Because some translations actually capture a concept here that is so powerful, so beautiful, and so biblical that we can't go much further without recognizing it. In the Bible, we know, as we prepare for the Lord's table tonight, we know that it takes sin to, to deal with sin, right? It takes blood, sorry, To deal with sin. We know that blood pays for sin, but it's Jesus's blood on the cross that washes our sin. That's one picture, right? But the word for what sin does within, or for what blood does within the life of a sinner is actually atonement. And maybe write the word atonement next to Proverbs 17 9 on your page there. Because the word atonement means something different than washing away. We like that image because it makes sense to us. We like to think of of a liquid like blood washing our sin away. And we are now clean. We are pure. We are righteous. But the word that the Bible uses more often is not washing away of sin, but the word for atonement. And what does atonement mean? cover our sin is covered atoned for by the blood of jesus that's the primary way old and new testament both talk about sin being dealt with a covering that the blood of jesus provides a covering over which our sin is atoned for our sin is made null and void in the account that we have before god the father So God no longer sees our sin because it has been washed away, one image, covered over, a more common image. So Jesus' blood covers over our sin. And what's another way of saying this? Jesus' blood has created a way for our sin to no longer factor into the equation of how God the Father views us, and we have been forgiven. And so the word atonement, And the word phrase here in Proverbs 17 9 for covering over an offense. The concept that some of your, some Bibles out there will translate it this way. The concept of covering over an offense is really, most simply, captured in one English word forgiveness. That's all that means. But the picture of covering over an offense feels not right to us. We shouldn't just cover up stuff. We should let things see the light of the day. But what forgiveness is, it is a covering over of sin, of a failure. Because you're no longer factoring in the failure, the wound that has been caused to you by another person. You're not factoring that in anymore. You covered that over. Here's what happens with forgiveness. Um, And it's the same thing that we see with Jesus. Jesus showed us what forgiveness meant and what forgiveness looked like, and it happens with us too. And I'm sorry to have to say it to you like this, but this is the way forgiveness works. When Jesus forgave us at the cross, the punishment for that sin did not go away. The punishment still came, but not to us. Jesus took it. Jesus took the pain. Jesus took the punishment, and for that, and by doing that, He covered over our sins so that we could be in relationship with Him, in relationship with God the Father. When you forgive, the punishment doesn't go away. The pain doesn't go away. What forgiveness is actually doing is it's taking the pain off of that person and it's putting it onto yourself. Because forgiveness hurts. But what you're doing when you say to somebody, I forgive you, if you you are choosing to cover over that person's offense, but you still remember it, and it still hurts, but you're choosing not to hurt them because of how they've hurt you. You're choosing to cover over that hurt, and then you're the one that's still experiencing it. Let me prove it to you. Because the next time you're going to have that itch that you want to scratch where somebody is saying something positive about somebody that wronged you. And you have that itch. What's the itch? You want to correct that person. You want to tell that person, no, 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 no. That person is actually rude, cruel, a bad friend, dishonest, untrustworthy. You want to say all of those things. But if you've forgiven... You don't scratch that itch. And you know who gets hurt? You get hurt. And I hate to say it, it sounds like bad news. Like, why why would we do this? Why would we do this forgiveness thing if it hurts so much? But practically, if you've lived out forgiveness, that is what happens. You're choosing not to hurt the other person, not to exact punishment on the other person, and then you yourself are the one that's, ah. I just, I wanted to correct that person. I wanted to say something bad. I wanted to to just set things right. I wanted to get justice. But it, it affects you. It hurts you. Why? Because that wound is still there. So we resist payback in 24 through 28, or 24, 28, and 29, by saying, I will not pay back the person that has sinned against me. I will instead absorb the hurt myself. I will instead absorb what they have done to me and cover over it without exacting punishment. Those who have been forgiven are willing to do this. But as we do it, we say, I will, I will not repay evil, Proverbs 20, 22. I will instead... Wait. Wait for the Lord. What we're doing in forgiving other people is we're resisting the urge to pay back, we're covering over the offense, and we're waiting for God's justice. We're waiting and we're trusting that God is actually going to care for you. And God's going to care for your pain and your hurt and your brokenness. God is going to be the one that will give you what you need. God is going to be the one that will heal the pain that you are causing yourself by not causing pain to somebody else. God is going to be the one, the only one, that can actually resolve that itch that you feel that you want to scratch by hurting the other person. Waiting for the Lord, waiting for His justice is the only way. Proverbs 25, Verse 21, we don't just wait for the Lord, we overcome. Proverbs 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Proverbs 24, 19 through 20 says it like this, fret not yourselves because of evildoers, do not be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So we wait on the Lord. We don't worry about the evildoers. We're not envious of the, of the evildoer and their human success that it seems that they have. Because we know, Proverbs twenty four nineteen that the evil man has no future. The evil man will not be ultimately successful, though it seems like they are. So it seems like that friend that wronged you, that that former employer that wronged you, it feels like they're prospering. They have no future, according to God. Romans 12, Paul captures this concept of forgiveness, of relationships, of of enemies that wrong you. Paul captures it in Romans 12, 19 through 21, when he says, Beloved, This is Paul talking to Christians, brothers and sisters, children of God. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So overcoming evil with good is responding to somebody that has hurt you, that has wronged you, that has done something that has affected you. And and let's be clear. Some of us, some of us have been deeply hurt, deeply wronged. And so there's something really insensitive about coming in and saying, you know what, we just have to forgive and move on. It feels really insensitive. But it is only ever possible through Jesus. This is not Pastor Tim talking to you, saying someone's deeply wronged you. Absorb the pain yourself, move on and forgive. This is Jesus that's saying this. And what Jesus is saying to you is that when your enemy wrongs you, When your enemy hurts you, when the former friend has turned his back, when the family member that you loved and served has turned her back on you and deeply, deeply wounded you, what Jesus is telling you is for your own good, you will not survive if you do not forgive and you do not release that person from your need to exact punishment on them. Because your need to exact punishment on someone that has hurt you is a burden for you, not for them. You can't put a burden on somebody else. You can try. We've tried that, right? You've tried to guilt people into stuff. You've tried to make people feel bad. We've all done it. I get it. You can't create a burden on somebody else. But you, by carrying that, by carrying that anger, you're putting the burden on yourself. And it's a burden That only Jesus can take away and can only be taken away by truly seeing how Jesus forgives. By truly embracing that those who have been forgiven learn how to forgive. We have to say this in context with all the other wisdom advice of Proverbs. To say that we don't let people just get away with wrongdoing. We don't let people just get away with their sin. There is a need for rebuke, there is a need for loving correction, there is a need to take someone that is on the foolish path and redirect them to the righteous path. But but sometimes the relationship goes so beyond repair because of the way that you are hurt that sometimes it's it's not you that's God that God is going to use to restore and correct that person because the only way that restoration and correction work in proverbs is when you rebuke as a friend and when that person has been your enemy and has made you their enemy your rebuke doesn't help them or you your correction doesn't help them or you because you've now become enemies and so before we can get to correction, before we can get to rebuke, before we can get to everyone actually pursuing Christ and living righteously, we have to be restored through forgiveness. And that's what hurts. But sometimes forgiveness has to come before that person ever admits they've done everything wrong, ever admits they've done anything wrong. Can you forgive without repentance? Yes, yes and only because of Jesus. You don't need the other person to come to you in dust cloth and ashes and say, this is, these are the specifics of everything I've done wrong, please forgive me. No, in fact, it's better for you spiritually, it's better for you in the path of wisdom to forgive that person long before they recognize all of what they have done to you. Because you let, you let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit for them, And you let the Holy Spirit that's talking to you right now and telling you to release the bitterness and anger and embrace forgiveness, you listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then you allow God to show vengeance and to repay people that need repayment because God doesn't let anyone get off without without their sin being paid for. But you know what's hard for some of us? is that some of those people that have deeply deeply wronged us they have and they will have their sin paid for. And are we okay with that? What happens if that person that's hurt you the most is going to be in eternity around the throne of God forgiven, blessed by God, dearly loved. Are we okay with that level of redemption? Because I think for some of us it we look at these passages and we say, well, you know what, I'm glad to know that, that that terrible employer I had, I know that he's lost, he doesn't believe in Jesus, and someday he's going to get his just desserts. Some of us have that, have that impulse, but what if? That person was redeemed and forgiven. And that sin that so deeply hurt you, they, they're never punished for it. Because Jesus is punished for it. The only way that that is okay, that that's going to feel okay, is when we fully understand the depths from which we've been forgiven. That you too were evil, you too were hateful, you too were arrogant and rude and unkind. And so, you too needed forgiveness at the cross. And so we can't overcome evil with good only because Jesus overcame evil with his good. And he did it for us. He did it for me. He did it for you. We as Christians will still continue to mess up our relationships sometimes, we'll still continue to not understand forgiveness fully. But we as Christians are constantly in that pursuit of restored relationships at the foot of the cross because we believe in forgiveness and we receive forgiveness. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, back up one verse from where we were a second ago. As much as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So here's how we close it this morning. Seek peace. But seek peace with the full realization that you cannot live at peace with everyone based on your own actions. Some people, they just don't want to live at peace with you. Some people will never fully be reconciled to you in this life. Jesus prepares us for that. God warns us about that. But as he says, as much as depends on you, seek peace. He then says, don't exact vengeance. Instead, overcome evil with good. Because no matter how many broken relationships you have, no matter how deeply someone has hurt you, you can still live at peace with Christ and live at peace with those around you because of the forgiveness created by Jesus that flows through those that believe in him. As I said a couple times already, I'll I'll say it again as as we look at the table, as we prepare ourselves for the table, this message is absolutely, insane without the blood of Jesus. It makes no sense from a worldly standpoint, from a human standpoint, it feels like injustice to cover over someone else's sin and to forgive and move on. But the beautiful story that we've all been wrapped up into is that we were that person. We were the person whose sin is not being counted against us, we were the person who so deeply wronged our creator, who so deeply acted in rebellion and hate against the God who loved us. We were once that person. And Jesus' blood has covered over our sins. Jesus' blood has brought us near. Jesus' blood has forgiven us so that we can now seek restoration from others only, only by his blood. I'm going to ask the band to come up on stage. I'm going to ask the guys serving communion to join me up here. And I want to tell you about these elements here. What we do when we practice communion is we obey. We do this because Jesus said, when you gather, do this. He said, when you gather, take bread, break it, and consume it in remembrance of Jesus the Messiah. And when you gather, take juice and drink it. And remember, you are united to Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you, as we prepare for these elements, here's, here's the way it's going to work. There, in a minute, I'm going to pray, and that's going to signal, they're going to sing, lead us in worship. The men are going to pass out the crackers first, and then they'll come back, they'll pass out the juice, hold both of them, and we'll partake of it together. But as we sing, I want you to reflect. I want the Spirit of God to move in this place and to move us to conviction of sin. Help us find where we need to be the ones acting in forgiveness and acting in release of what others have done to wrong us and hurt us. And as you ask that question, as you reflect, I want you to hold this in your hands and recognize this is the body that was broken because of your rebellion. Is anything too deep to forgive? Does anything hurt so much that you can't forgive and release yourself from that bitterness? As you hold the broken body of Jesus, as you hold the shed blood of Jesus, what was broken specifically because of your your hurt that you caused God the Father, The pain that you enacted through your sin is anything that has been done to you too deep to forgive. Let me pray for us, and then they'll start passing out, and I'm going to ask you to worship however the Spirit leads. Stand, sit, reflect in whichever way. Father, as we receive these elements, we ask that you call to our minds The importance of forgiveness that you've covered over our sin. You have covered over every offense that we have committed against you. And there is nothing that we have experienced, nothing's been done to us that is deeper, more painful, more heinous than the wounds we have inflicted on you. And so, Jesus, bring us deeper, forgiveness if there's anyone here this morning that has not received forgiveness from you may this be the time to call out to ask jesus i need forgiveness and spirit would you renew a heart this morning inflame a heart to new life this morning through the power of your blood in jesus name we
2: some pain. strong. Oh so- <laughs> i you.
0: invite you now to take the cracker in your hand. And as I said earlier, this is the body that was broken for you. This is the one that you have sinned against. God himself. Choosing to give himself so that you might be saved. And now, as a new creation, you are in Christ. So the one who you sinned against, who was sacrificed for you is now in you. And we consume this in remembrance of this radical fact that the great God of the universe has descended to become with us and in us so that we might be with him. We do this in remembrance of him. And now the cup of his blood the cup of covering, the cup of atonement. Not because covering is a light concept, but because covering is a strong concept. And God the Father no longer sees our sins because this blood has washed over us to cover it once and for all. Any sin we ever commit, covered over by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. We do this in remembrance of him. One of the important aspects of Christian worship is that we don't just come into this room as receivers, as takers, as if what matters most is that we come and we sit and we enjoy and we receive, but rather what we receive demands a response. We will never, by action, come close to earning what we have received and yet the beauty of all that we have received creates givers, creates responders creates worshipers so as we worship we have the gift of having an opportunity to respond this is what we call our Samaritan offering, it is not for the ministries of our church this money goes outside of our church to serve those in financial need to serve those in need of the gospel, so let me pray for us, we'll receive this offering Christ's name. Father, we thank you for all that you have given. And now because you so loved that you gave, we in response and in joy, we give in the name of Christ Jesus. So Father, bless us, bless this offering as you use it for your glory.
2: In Jesus' name.
0: remain standing and we will receive the blessing of the atonement, the blessing of those whose sins have been covered over by the blood of the cross. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.